This week, we're talking about chasing storms with Mike Mez, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Greetings, everybody. So today we're talking with my good friend, Mike Mez. Mike is an incredible photographer, and he is known for a bunch of different types of photography, honestly. He's an incredible landscape photographer as well as a volcano photographer. What we're talking about today is his incredible storm photography. So if you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend going over to MikeMezPhotography.com checking out his work. It is incredible. It's awe-inspiring. It's pretty much everything I wish I was. (laughs) He's a really incredible photographer. And I think you guys will agree he's a very versatile photographer as well. Make sure to check out his aviation photography. He's kind of all over the board in his skill set. He's just an all-around incredible photographer. So make sure you check out his work before you listen to the rest of this episode. That way, when you hear all of my kind words, you know that they're coming from an honest place because he's the real deal. In this episode, we talk a lot about storm photography. We definitely touch a lot on the safety aspect. I think it's important that anytime we're talking about storm photography, we talk about the dangers involved because it is a very real thing. Storm photography and storm chasing is increasingly popular And along with its popularity, it only gets more dangerous because roads get clogged up and there's just more and more people out there. I think touching on the safety as much as we did is a pretty important aspect of it. So we talk about learning to track storms and how to photograph them. So hopefully you guys find this episode entertaining as well as educational. Here's the interview that we just got done with, with Mike Mez. So we are sitting down with Mike, Mike Mez. How do how am I supposed to pronounce your last name? <laughs> I, I've been friends with you for how long and I still can't say your last name. Is Dude, it sometimes Mez- I question myself on how I say my own, my own last name. Right. Is it Mezuel? So it's close. It's Mezuel. So Mezuel. it's exactly how it doesn't look. Okay. So yeah, Mezuel, but you know, everybody through my life has always called me Mez because they get to that part and they're like, I don't know what to do with the rest of your last name. So Mez, hey guy. Mezuel, Mike, whatever. Pretty much everybody knows you as Mike Mez. Let's just go with that. Solid. Lovingly refer to you as Mike Mez. So I've been called worse. (laughs) (laughs) I first got to shoot with you this summer. And since then, we've become friends. Like, Mike, you are an incredible photographer. I've told you this to your face, so you know it's true. But Mike is like one of those guys that since I got familiar with your work, I have tons of respect for you because you are not just good at landscape photography, but you're pretty much good at every type of photography you attempt. Highly recommend everybody go check out his website. Is it Mike? What is it? Mike Mez Photography. And then Instagram's Mike Mez Photo. You have such a deep portfolio. You've done a lot of different things. Your aerial photography is incredible. You're very well known for your volcano photography. You've documented so many different really cool eruptions. But today we want to talk about the storm photography that you are also awesome at because you seem to be good at everything. You bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, man. (laughs) 
Trust me, there are tons of photos on the hard drive nobody will ever see. I think we all have that a little bit. <clears throat> Storm photography. It's such a... Um, exciting thing to do but it's also an incredibly frightening make you feel very small and mortal thing to do how how did you get your start photographing storms yeah man uh you know it's it's funny because it wasn't intentional by any means you know when i was a little kid i would go out to recess at elementary school and i'd be that kid that wouldn't like really associate with other kids I'd be that awkward kid laying on the picnic table staring up at the clouds and the teachers would be like hey what's wrong with that, that one over there and they'd come and ask me and I'd be like, oh, no, I'm just, you know, I'm watching the clouds. So I've always had this like fascination with the sky and everything that it holds in it, you know. And when I got my first camera, I was 15 years old, didn't have a license, didn't really have a way to kind of get around town besides, you know, my bike. So I did what I could do. And that was, hey, we have some really cool storms here. Let me try and photograph these storms. I didn't have a car. So literally, I took out every screen window in my parents' second story of their house. And I photographed storms out the window as they came and, you know, beautiful foreground, you know, like the water tower and other people's <laughs> backyards and all that stuff. But I learned that way on how to photograph uh, storms as they came in. And this is back in the day when this is like on an old Yashica MG1 camera. So it's an old film camera. I would go get the film developed, take a look at what I got. And then I took, I had this like the sexy little, you know, spiral yellow notepad. I wrote everything down on for every frame. And then I would compare and be like, okay, you know, what can I do better? What did I do wrong here? And uh, back then, I thought the way you capture lightning was you just press the button, the shutter really fast. <laughs> and I didn't really understand, you know, long exposures. And then when I got my car, it was game on. You know, when I finally got my license, I was like, a piece, I'm out. You know, I'm going to go find some foreground. I'm going to go chase these storms. And I uh, started learning how to properly chase and forecast storms as well as how to properly photograph them. So, uh, that was when I was 16. That was, you know, a long time ago. And uh, it was all downhill from there, really. You know, it was just a big old snowball. Like I went out, photographed a storm, took a, you know, took a look at the images. What could I do better? What did I do wrong? Go out, find another storm, try to photograph it a little bit better, try to chase a little bit better and so on. And, you know, long story short, that's kind of how I got into uh, photographing storms. That's awesome. My area that I live in, it was actually one of the first types of landscape photography I did as well as just photographing the lightning storms that would come through in kind of the late spring and midsummer. And so I, I've been photographing my local storms for several years, I, I guess more like 10, no, no, how many years is that? Seven years, something like that. Carry the one, and, lower the nine, divide by three. Yeah, exactly. Seven. However long I've been doing photography. So I, I've been doing it a while and, you know, I, I'm a fan of weather. So I thought that I knew what storm chasing was kind of like until I went down to the south, the southwest and, <laughs> the, and the plains area. It's a completely different beast down there. I, I've soon discovered that it's, it's not the same like at all. And the storms down there are just terrifying because they are so massive and so violent. One of the best ways to start this conversation is like safety. How does a person dip their toes into following storms for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a loaded question. It's funny that you talk about the difference between the, the storms like the Pacific Northwest and, and down in the plains. You know, we, we look at the storms up in the Pacific Northwest and we're like, oh, those are cute. And then, <laughs> you know, it, the storms down here, you know, it, it is something that could absolutely 100% kill you. You know, safety is obviously number one priority when I go out. Um, it's not the image as much as I want it to be the image. Um, it's not. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm able to get home to, uh, you know, process my images that I shot that day. 
So safety is the number one thing. And the best way to stay safe, in my opinion, with the storm is one, be educated on weather in general to get a, an understanding for the atmosphere. Like my, my original major in college was atmospheric science. So I have a pretty deep background in atmospheric forecasting and the dynamics that are involved with that. But, you know, most people don't have that background. So what you can do if you want to get into, you know, possibly photographing storms in a safe manner is go online, take, a, you know, an online atmospheric science class or uh, the National Weather Service. They offer free classes called Skywarn classes. They're typically uh, uh, going around the springtime and you can go into the National Weather Service page and see where they're going to be having them. Uh, if, you know, COVID's changed it up, so they did them online the past couple of years, but they also do them in person. And that's a good way to kind of get an understanding for severe weather and what you're dealing with out there. But nothing's more important than experience. So I always recommend whether you take an online class or you take, you know, a college class or whatever, like going out with people who have experience and several years experience with chasing these storms and learn from them. So that's another way that I learned. Like, you know, I mentioned I went out with my car and, you know, chase storms locally. To be honest, I really had no idea what I was doing. And eventually I met a guy named Ken Fugate who uh, had been chasing for about 40 years. And he took me under his wing for about three or four years. And I chased with him and learned everything I could from him about chasing before I really went out like really hard on my own. So experience, doing a little bit of learning online or through a local class. And, you know, for me, when I go out there, I'm not going to lie. Like I still, I've been doing this for so long. I still get nervous every single time I go out there. And I think that's because I respect what I'm looking at mm -hmm. and I understand the power of what, I, what I'm dealing with. So for me, it's having that respect, the knowledge, experience, always having an escape route because you know what? Even with that knowledge and experience that you may have, I've seen storms where from experience and from the textbooks, it's supposed to do this. And then nature's like, here, hold my beer. And it does completely the opposite. And all of a sudden you have to be ready to move or just extremely quickly. And then the other thing too, is a lot of people don't realize the storms. I'm not trying to make this sound super scary, but this is how <laughs> well, it is. Well, I think it's important that you are making it really scary because, you know, I went down there uh, fairly confident and then I came back with my tail between my legs because it <laughs> is scary. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot too that people don't think about, you know, people go out to storms and, you know, unfortunately... Uh, there's been an influx of storm chasers, storm photographers over the past five years. And especially like I've seen a lot of Instagrammers come out to, to the planes having no freaking clue what they're doing. The, the, the scary part to me is not the tornado. You know, everybody's like, oh, as long as I see where the tornado is at, I'm fine. I'm like, well, you're forgetting about the softball size hail. You're forgetting about the lightning that is 10 times hotter than the surface of the sun. You're forgetting about roads getting flooded from flash flooding. You're forgetting about straight line winds that can knock power lines over on top of your car. You're, you're forgetting about all these other things. Like to me, the tornado is like the least of my worries. And that sounds silly to say, but there's so many other factors involved with these storms that can get you in a, in a pickle real quickly. So yeah, going out there um, with knowledge, experience, you know, being ready to move, being, have an escape route, backup plan, all that stuff, you know, that's, that's kind of the best way to stay quote unquote safe. Although there is absolutely no guarantee you're going to be safe. I think that's really wise advice and finding somebody that can kind of tutor you around and and kind of be your guide through it all. Like I know that I wouldn't feel confident or comfortable doing it now that I've actually seen some big storms. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it unless I was hanging out with somebody like you <laughs> because it's, you know, like you said, 
just because the storms typically move in a particular direction and you you think you have a pretty good idea of what the storms are going to do that day occasionally they just do the exact opposite because they are literally like living entities that kind of just do whatever the hell they want sometimes and it's really that's the scary part is not knowing and you know you bring up an interesting point about how many people are out there one of the things is like you can have your escape route but there's no guarantee that the traffic on that escape route is going to be flowing. That's the, yeah. That was one of the f- scary things that I found is that there's just so many people out there. You can have a traffic jam out in the middle of nowhere because there's so, so many storm chasers right now. Yeah. And that's that's been a, a huge problem that's come about the last 10 years. You know, I've been, oh man, I'm going to age myself for a second here. I've been chasing now 21 years, 22 years. I'm horrible at math, but yeah, something like that. Uh, I remember when I first started that first, you know, 10 years or so, you would be out in the middle of West Texas. And I remember a, a, a situation out near Turkey, Texas. And bonus points to you if you know where Turkey, Texas is. <laughs> I was out in Turkey, Texas watching a supercell form all to myself. And another storm chaser pulled up and I happened to know him. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, we both know why we're here. But, you know, with the odds, this is back before like any like, you know, smartphone or anything. You know, we were working off paper maps and we were stopping at the public libraries to get Internet access on dial up to check the radar. And so it was an absolute like almost celebration of like, oh, my gosh, another person. Now, you know, I've run into so many scary experiences um, in the middle, like you mentioned, like the middle of like West Kansas running into a New York City style traffic jam. And that is my biggest fear now is the amount of people on the road. Like you said, you could have all these escape plans and, you know, you're thinking ahead and whatnot, but, you know, you can run into a traffic jam where everybody's doing 20 miles an hour because, you know, people aren't paying attention. They're watching the storm. They're trying to take videos, whatever. It's all of a sudden like, you know, bowling for the tornado, you know, it just comes right down the road and takes everybody out. And, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I've changed up my style a little bit lately uh, with being a little further back um, is because I don't want to get caught in that. That's scary because you're not going to get away from a storm that's traveling at 60 miles an hour if you're only traveling 20 miles an hour. <laughs> no, it, it goes back to like those high school, high school math equation, like, you know, train A leaves station one at 60 miles an hour and then the tornado leaves this station at 30 miles an hour. Who's going to win? You know, it's like, uh, according to my math, I'm not going to win. It is scary to think about. And I actually was in a situation in, in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. This is probably back in like 2016, 15-ish, uh, where we ran into a huge traffic jam. And there's actually a photo that went viral from this um, of all the cars in a row. And and I'm somewhere in there. You can actually see my my black exterior back then. And uh, tornado just comes barreling down that road. And luckily, we were able to get off of it and take a dirt road and and drop south. But uh, yeah, it's, it's wild how busy and chaotic the roads have become so now that everybody is sufficiently scared (laughs) 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 i but i think i honestly think that that's a really important part of like any conversation about potentially doing storm photography or storm chasing is like you have to open with the danger because it's real it's it's very very real so now that everybody's sufficiently scared, how does a person go about like actually determining what's going to be photogenic versus what's going to just be a big mess in the sky? A lot of that comes down to the forecasting involved. You know, we can look at, uh, not to get too nerdy here, but you can look at photographs uh, and skew T charts and 
uh, things like that to kind of get an idea of what the um, dynamics of the atmosphere are going to be doing that day. And that will kind of help you understand, okay, this storm may have this certain kind of look to it. Um, or it may be uh, an HP supercell where everything's going to be wrapped in rain. Real quick, just to jump off that, if you don't understand what the skew, what a skew T or a hodograph is, you should definitely not be out chasing on your own. But yeah, like you can look at things like that to kind of get an understanding for what the atmosphere is going to be doing that day. And if that storm or that location where those storms may be are going to be, you know, photogenic. And so for me, I look at uh, some of those things to kind of be like, okay, you know, maybe let's, you know, let's just, for example, say central Kansas has an area of interest and so does Southwest Oklahoma on the same day. So which one do you choose? Well, I'll look at different things and be like, okay, well, this one's got the better upper level support or this area's got the better wind shear. And then I'll make my decision, not necessarily off of which storm is going to be more severe or which storm is going to be a higher torna uh, tornado potential. But I'll kind of take a look and be like, okay, this storm's going to be more isolated. Uh, you know, this storm here, it looks like the anvils are not going to be going over the storm essentially. So you're going to have better visibility here. So I look at it in a, which one's going to be more photogenic versus um, which one's going to be more severe. So long story short with, you know, which one and and how do you decide, you know, you have to look at the, um, the details and the dynamics of the atmosphere that day. If you pull up to a storm, it, storm they, they change so quickly. They evolve so rapidly and you could have a storm that is visually appealing for about five minutes and then it becomes an HP supercell and all of a sudden everything's garbage and it's real murky. And, and you know, for example, Nick, the, the storms that you and I were on, I think we're in Kansas and we had the tornado sirens going off and we had that big <laughs> tornado worn supercell off our right side. It was actually, it was the day we broke the, uh, the, the struts of my trunk uh, <laughs> that day. So we have that. Which is that a great beautiful. story in itself. Here, here we um, are. There's a storm bearing down on us. It's time to go. And then they couldn't shut the hatch on their <laughs> on his car. <laughs> so we're like, we literally had to break the strut off just to be able to shut the, the rear hatch of the car so we could like get out of there because the storm is literally coming straight for us. It was a good time. Oh, yeah. I think you and I have a different definition of good time. But <laughs> you know, I think my butt was pretty clenched that day. Um but yeah, so, you know, we had that the initial storm that you and I were on and it was a big HP tornado worn supercell. And I remember you and I being like, okay, this is tornado worn, but there's no visual here. Like, you know, it's just, it's a wall of rain. Yep. And then we bailed on that storm and we went back to the Southwest and picked up another storm that was not severe warned. But then we found that abandoned church school thing, whatever it was. And we had that epic sky. And like, to me, that's, that was way more photogenic than the big tornado worn supercell. Yeah. Uh, that, that was one of my big takeaways actually from that trip is that, you know, you have two different types of, well, there's probably more than this, but we're going to boil it down to two. There's two different types of people that are out chasing these storms. There are storm chasers that are like tornado or nothing. They're looking for a big, cool tornado. And then there are people that are looking to come away with a good photograph. Oftentimes we're after completely different things. Like for me, I am as interested in just beautiful, dramatic stormlight raking underneath one of those crazy storm structures. I'm as interested in that as I would be like a really cool tornado or supercell because, you know, I, I'm interested in making photographs rather than like, you know, just seeing a tornado. And a lot of storm chasers, they're just going where the action is. Yeah, 100%. There's storm chasers that are, hey, it's a crappy day if I don't get a tornado. 
And then there are some photographers that are just like, hey, you know what? Beautiful clouds, beautiful light, nice color, texture. I'm solid, you know? Mm-hmm. And that day was a perfect example of that. Like we found that old abandoned, whatever it was, the school church thing. Beautiful sunset lit, you know, storm clouds like that. Heck yes. I know so many people, it was funny watching social media later that day that were posting, ah, oh, another crappy storm, another, you know, HP storm. And I'm like, I walked away with some images I'm really happy with. Like, and that's the difference. Uh, so I'll take a, a storm that is pretty and doesn't necessarily need to be severe or a supercell versus a storm that is messy and producing, you know, an F5 tornado that you can't see. So as a storm photographer, do you have any special kit or any special set of gear that you're using? Are you a lightning trigger user? Is there anything special about your setup when you're going to photograph a storm? I like to throw on my tornado filter every now and then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, it's blue skies. Let me throw on my tornado filter real fast here. My go-to gear, uh, so we kind of break down into like, you know, lenses first. Uh, I'm typically on a 14 to 24, the Nikon. Uh, any any sort of wide angle lens is usually my go to out there. But also, I'll carry with me the seventy to two hundred. Uh, for instance, uh, if there's like cool details in a very localized area, the clouds that I'll use that lens for. Or if there is a tornado and you know the conditions don't allow for access to be really close to it or it's just not safe, I'll use the seventy to two hundred there to you know go in for a little bit tighter view. Filter wise, circular polarizer helps a lot with kind of bringing out that contrast there uh, as well as like, you know, if we get any rainbows, it obviously helps pop the color there triggers. So I have used a couple of uh, lightning triggers over the years and like I'll get companies, I'll send them to me and just be like, Hey, can you try it out? You know, I'm not too enthusiastic about them to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Twilight is my favorite time to shoot lightning. I just love the way like that blue hour light kind of contrast the lightning. And sometimes you'll have like remnant pastel colors from sunset. And when you're at that time of day, you know, you could easily utilize long exposures. Same with nightfall, you know, you're utilizing long exposures. So really the lightning triggers are most beneficial during daytime lightning. Now, the problem with that is, you know, one, it's daytime. So you're already dealing with a ton of ambient light. So whether this trigger works or not to capture the lightning bolt, usually that lightning bolt's still very washed out just by the ambient light. Uh, So daytime lightning for me is usually not my favorite time of day to shoot. And sometimes I really don't even bother unless it's like really close, you know, bright lightning. But the other thing is it's a double-edged sword with the the triggers. So a lot of people think, oh, hey, a trigger works. It sees the bolt, captures the photo, and it doesn't really work that way. Uh, you know, a lot of these triggers that are out there require uh, what's called staccato lightning. And we've all seen it. If you've seen a lightning strike that's kind of struck, looks like it's struck the same place twice or three or four times in a row, mm. that's staccato lightning. So these triggers will see the initial bolt and then open the shutter in hopes of ca- catching the uh, return stroke. And that's great if you have staccato lightning and it's close, you'll get a shot, they'll show up. But most storms actually don't produce that kind yeah. of lightning. So the trigger can be quite stressful because it'll trigger and then there's no return stroke and you missed it. So yeah, that's, that's been my experience with them as well. In my area, we like never get staccato lighting. So when I take triggers out, it's almost always a frustrating experience because sometimes you'll see this big, beautiful bolt and then the trigger didn't trigger. And then you're like, Oh no. And and then it'll (laughs) trigger like, and it'll miss the miss bolts. And it's just so frustrating. So a lot of times I end up just resorting to a time lapse figuring that at least like if i don't catch any bolts i'll at least come away with time lapse 
because a lot of times time lapses are awesome during a storm. Yeah. And that's kind of my mentality is I've started during the middle of the day. Like if it's, if I'm just shooting where the ambient light is, you know, quite, quite bright, like I'll just time lapse it because same mentality, like, okay, you know what? If I don't get any bolts, I at least walk away with the time lapse. If I get a bolt, awesome. But lightning is probably the most frustrating thing to photograph in a storm because you have no idea where it's going to strike, when it's going to strike. If you expose for the really distant bolts, then you get one that's, you know, mm-hmm. butt clenching close and it blows out your exposure and then you expose for that and then you get all distant bolts. You know, sometimes, I mean, I oh God, I had a bolt this year during monsoon season that cut in from the top right of my frame, cut out, cut back into the bottom right and then hit the ground. And, you know, it's, it's nothing. And it's super close. You can see the whole ground eliminated and it's nothing I'll ever use because, you know, the bolts half in and half out of the frame. And then obviously <laughs> you were there to uh, experience mm-hmm. the uh, Shane Bloom bur- birthday uh, frustration. And uh, to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy he got that shot, but man, that was just really bad luck, you know, having, having a time-lapse going, and then quickly adjusting the ISO real fast in between frames and missing this epic bolt. Like, what are the odds of that? Yeah, um, that particular bolt was pretty incredible. And to have it happen in the one moment when you had interrupted your time lapse, that's just, yeah. oh, that's brutal. Lightning makes you want to punch a baby sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, I was going to piggyback on, like, the focal length talk. Going down and photographing these storms, I had always felt like 16 to 35 was... A nice wide angle lens, but I'd never wanted like a 10 millimeter or 12 millimeter lens more than when I was storm chasing. Because when you get underneath these just crazy structures, you can't get it all in. And I can see now why super wide angle lenses like 11 and 12 millimeters are so popular with storm photographers because that's the only way you can get at least most of it in because these things are huge and they're like right over the top of you. 16 to 35 did not feel wide enough. No. Yeah. And you know, I used to have a 10 and a half millimeter fisheye for my, uh, my crop sensor. And that was fun to play with when you get really, really close to the leading edge of a storm. But yeah, you know, some of these storms are so massive that 14 millimeter doesn't, you know, capture it. So you have to resort to a pano and then, you know, with them being so close, sometimes you're dealing with, you know, distortion with your pano stitching and all that stuff. And it's just more work in post, but they are massive. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people who come to see these supercells for the first time just don't comprehend. Like this isn't your little popcorn, you know, 4th of July storm. This is something that is the size of an entire county. It's huge. Yeah. And you get all these different types of of structures kind of going through. And occasionally you'll get just like this line of storms that is literally like from Mexico to Canada. Like it's in it's crazy sometimes watching these squall lines roll through. Granted, those are not going to be the, the really extreme tornado producing ones usually, but it's storms like those that we just don't have here, you know, and if we did have like a line of storms rolling through, they wouldn't produce anything even remotely dangerous, but it's crazy what happens down in the Midwest in the lower plains. Yeah. I mean, the, the dynamics that we have down here, um, they're, they're like any, uh, unlike anything else in the world. You know, Argentina, they'll have uh, some beautiful supercells down there and sometimes even some tornadoes. Croatia, Italy, they get some beautiful supercells. But the plains of the states is unique uh, in the way that just the way that you get that moisture coming in from the Gulf of Mexico and you get, you know, the systems moving down off of the the Rockies and the dry line coming in over West Texas. Like it, 
the dynamics here are insane. And that's, you know, that's why it's home to, you know, the most powerful storms in the world, man. So how is your car not more beat up than it is? <laughs> Seriously, though, are, do you tend to like if you're going to go out storm chasing for an extended period of time, are you taking your own vehicle or are you just buying the extended coverage on a rental? Uh, no, I'm, most of the time I'm in my own vehicle and, uh, you know, my vehicle currently looks kind of like a golf ball, you know, but I like to say it gets better gas mileage because of that. So, you know, it's more aerodynamic now. Yeah, I mean, I take my own car out there and that's just kind of part of, you know, my life, man. Like I I, I don't like to rent cars because I don't trust them. Like I, I know my car. I know that, you know, I've modified my car with, you know, a lift and bigger tires and I and I, I know what it's capable of for like off-roading and mud roads, which we tend to be on quite a bit. So yeah, if I rent a car, I don't know what the capabilities are. And I also, one, don't know if, you know, the tires that it's coming with are, you know, good tread they're good in rain good in mud um i don't know you know how capable it is like you know pickup wise like how fast can i get myself out of a predicament so like i like using my own car and that's part of my life you know everybody that's known me since i started driving they're always like oh mike's cars is beat up that's how it is you know that's you know right now my sunroof has a giant crack through it from uh from hail but um i like to i like to kind of cherish those little scars there they're storytelling pieces I know when I was down there, I was shocked at how bad some of the gravel roads can get because I, I think calling them gravel roads is kind because they're yeah. pretty much just like powdery mud roads. And as soon as they get any water on them, they just fall apart. And I was really missing my pickup. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I feel you with the whole rental car thing because a lot of times they, they're not exactly off-road capable. No, no, not at all. And, you know, that's the other thing too that I you got to be really careful of, you know, kind of touching back on the safety issues is, you know, you have to understand the roads you're on. So, uh, you know, not every storm is going to have perfectly paved roads that lead you up to the storm. So sometimes you got to take gravel roads or even uh, dirt roads. And especially like Western Kansas, uh, the moment there's any moisture on that road, it just turns to soup. And uh, a lot of chasers actually get stuck out there on these, on these roads. And, that obviously could lead to a really bad day if you're uh, not careful with your positioning. So I try my best, even though my car is totally capable of going down those roads, I try my best to avoid them just because that's the last thing I want to worry about is being stuck in the mud as a tornado is bearing down on me. So a couple questions. When you're going to be photographing a particular storm cell, are you keeping in mind light direction or are you pretty much just attempting to stay on the side that is the cleanest in regards to like being able to see yeah, I clean mean, structure. I'm trying my best to keep it in mind. Like obviously as a photographer, you know, light matters. Um, so I'm always trying to position myself relevant to the storm and the light that works out best for, you know, the image, you know, with that being said, I'm not in control. You know, it's not, it's not like I have a model out there and I can reposition lights and really control the environment. The storm controls the environment, you know, you have to go where the storm goes. So, you know, you can either sit there where the good light is and shoot the wrong side of the storm that has no detail, no texture, no structure, or you can go to the side of the storm that has the structure and all the detail and photograph it with whatever lights available there. And that's kind of what you have to do. You have to, you have to go to where the storm's at and then, you know, every now and then get really spoiled and the light and the storm align. But most of the time you're, you're kind of dealing with, I don't want to say flat light, but not the best directional light or light that you'd prefer for the storm. 
So that's why, you know, in some of the images that I have where the storm and the light line up so perfectly, it's just like you could fill a 128 gig card in like three seconds. Yeah. Do you find yourself preferring like a, a backlit storm where you potentially get the light poking underneath it? Or do you prefer a shooting the side where you can at least get some side light or maybe some direct light on the structure? I love directional light. So if I can have a storm that like ideally, let's just fantasize here, like a storm that's moving due south or southeast and you have you know, a low sun angle coming in from the due west. There's no other storms off that way. And you, uh, you don't have any like clouds or anything obstructing it. When you can get that kind of light on a storm, oh man, like I got to wipe away the drool right now just thinking about it. Like it's just beautiful the way that all the layers and the textures of the clouds, you know, they come out and the contrast is there and you can see, uh, you know, like the, the reds in the soil or the greens in the grass, like that's fantastic. Like I, I got really, really lucky the past two years, ironically on the same date um, with two tornadoes with rainbows through them. They both these storms literally had no storm off to the west. I was uh, actually on the west southwest side of the tornado, which is not the ideal vantage point, um, but I could see that the west was clear. I could also see that the tornado didn't really have any rain around it. Uh, like anything really obscuring it. So my goal was to get a rainbow through the tornado. And I was able to get that on both of them because the West was clear. That sunlight hit the little bit of rain that was wrapping around the tornado, creating a rainbow. And then you get really uh, white clouds because of the reflection of the sunlight. So two years in a row on the same date, I've got tornadoes, white tornadoes, that are really high contrast with rainbows going through them. And that that just doesn't happen. Pretty disappointed that there wasn't a unicorn. I mean, really. It was just like, off frame, actually. <laughs> <laughs> with Sasquatch riding it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I know that people listening to this are, are wondering how this episode can pertain to them because not everybody lives in a place where they can go chase chase tornadoes, chase monster supercells and stuff. So maybe we can kind of bring this home by talking about practical advice for just photographing whatever storms people have available to them. Like how, how do they know a storm is even coming and what should they do when they, when they realize that a storm might be brewing in their area? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's storms everywhere uh, at some point of the year. So the opportunities there, obviously, you know, there's a very specific area that has the violent storms. But um, if you're looking to get out there just to shoot a storm, you know, go out. Uh, evening hours are best, like morning, early afternoon. Usually you don't have the instability in the atmosphere to create anything that's usually visually appealing. So storms that are later in the afternoon are going to be better. You can go out and photograph the storms with some sort of foreground and like, you know, some of my favorite shots of actually photographed are just like little kind of like popcorn showers with some cool foreground. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you kind of make a scene. It's not all about the storm. You use the storm as essentially like a background supporting role. Uh, so you go out there for that. The West side of a storm. If you kind of like, what we just talked about the tornado, if you're on the West side of the storm and you have a low sun angle and it's clear you're almost always guaranteed to get some sort of rainbow over there. So if you stay on the west side of the storm, you can see a rainbow or create a rainbow and a circular polarizer always helps with that. I would say also, you know, embracing 
all the textures that are within a storm, whether it's a severe storm or non-severe storm, there's really cool textures within the clouds. And that's like I mentioned earlier, like that 7200 really can allow you to hone in on those really localized areas where you're getting like these knuckles in the clouds. And sometimes you'll get what are called the modest clouds. They look like cotton balls hanging from the sky. Uh, so yeah, just looking all around for every little aspect that the storm can offer. Um, if you don't live in a place that has like these big supercells. And even if you do, like I still tend to sometimes ignore the big wide shots and focus in on those details. Kind of piggybacking on this, even for myself, granted, you know, I got some incredible images when photographing the monsoon season. And when I came down to the entire South Plains, because we were all over the place, um, <laughs> you know, even though I got good images there, I still feel like I get my best images close to home. And the reason for that is because I know my area so well. And I think that that is a good piece of advice for most people is that as long as you're paying attention and when you do get those rare storms in your area, most likely you're going to get better images close to home simply because of the local knowledge you have at those areas. That one of the most difficult things ever is to go to some place that you've never been before, will likely never be again, and try to find a composition there like while driving at high speeds trying to you know, get in position <laughs> for a particular uh, storm cell. It's really, really difficult to find any kind of foreground. So photographing those storms that are close to home and really paying attention being like, okay, well, this storm is tracking through here and it's going to get really close to this particular landmark that I've photographed in the past. I could go there and maybe the storm's not going to be perfectly in line with it, but there's still going to be some interesting storm structure and maybe some interesting light that's going to happen because of that storm. And you can get really impactful images that way, just having it kind of line up with your local area. Another thing that I found useful when I was down in the in the plains and trying to find any kind of foreground is create little waypoints with any app that allows you to save, you know, locations. And as you're driving to a particular area, just drop little waypoints and be like, oh, there's a windmill or, oh, there's a lone tree or, oh, there's a cool old barn. That way, if a storm does go through that particular area, you know, during the, the the days that you're there, you at least have an idea of a few foregrounds that are out there because that was by far for me, the most difficult thing was just finding foreground because a lot of times you're trying to literally make mountains out of molehills out in the plains. Yeah, I think you nailed it, man. Like knowing the weather in your area, like I, if I went up to the Pacific Northwest, like your area there and tried to chase the storm, <laughs> gosh, that'd be, oh, that'd be a headache. Uh, you know, not knowing the roads, not knowing where the foreground's at, and also not knowing how the storms work up there. They work completely different than they do down here. Same with monsoon, man. Like, you know, going from supercells to monsoon, it's taken me many years to kind of get an understanding for how the storms work off the mountains there and how the terrain there interacts with the mountains or interacts with the storms. So yeah, knowing the area for sure. And then also what you mentioned about kind of waypointing and marking locations, that's something I've done over the years for all of Tornado Alleys. I'll have my location on for like my photos on my iPhone. If I see an old barn or something like that, as I'm driving by it, I'll take a photo of it. And then later on, you know, hey, oh, the storm's moving close by to that area. Let me see how far it is. And sometimes that's actually worked out where I've been able to pull up something that I photographed or I took a picture of just driving by and I was able to go to it and the storm moved right to it. There you go. Most of yeah. the time you're honestly scrambling though. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, most of the time. Because if you can find those those locations that, especially if they're just a little off the beaten path, that that's definitely going to set you apart from the storm chasers that are just trying to to witness a tornado. You know, the photographers are looking for foreground. The storm chasers are not. So as long as you can find a foreground that's a little bit off the beaten path, you're going to be able to actually create an image that is more than just documenting a storm. And that that's really, for me, that's a, that's the goal because there's plenty of people documenting these storms. I want to, like, you know, create a cool image. Sometimes that can be really challenging when, like you said, traveling at high speed down a, down yeah. an interstate. It's a little challenging. Yeah, and the last thing that honestly you're you're trying to think about at that point is, oh, hey, what foreground? You know, like you're thinking about, okay, safety. What's going on in the road? What's going on with the storm? What's going on on the radar? Where am I going next? And then you know, <laughs> you're just like, oh yeah, by the way, I need to find foreground. It is very challenging to find foreground out there, but when you do find it, you just want to like go up there and just like hug it. It's just like, ah, I've I've needed you. Yeah, no kidding. Well, dude, it's always a good time hanging out with you. Where can people find you on as far as your website and social media? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, so Instagram is at Mike Mez M E Z photo, and then the uh, my website is MikeMezPhotography.com. So that's pretty much where I'm posting all my work these days, where they can go ahead and see some of the uh, storm work that I've produced from the past years. Make sure you go check out his website. You're going to be in awe just like I am every time I visit his website. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with me, dude. We'll catch you next time. Dude, always a pleasure, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Take it easy, everybody.